So I, I heard you got 17 right on your Oscar picks? Yes. I did not, since I was at the hockey game, I was not going to do one, but I was on KMOX talking about it, and I there were three of them that I was torn between, and so I'm going to say that I got at least one of those right. I would have had 17 as well. Yes, well, I would have had three more had I listened to my guts because I thought Ruth Carter should win again, but I was convinced because of all the pre- uh, Nagdicate, what you know, the the people that are always writing about a gold derby. Yeah, they were all saying it was going to be Catherine Martin for Elvis. So I went with Catherine Martin, and of course it was Ruth Carter who I wanted all along. So I was like, oh. And then I still, I still would have gotten Jamie Lee Curtis wrong. Me too, because you and I were pulling for Angela Bassett. I wanted Angela Bassett to win, and there's been quite a backlash. Yes, there has been. But Lynn, and we're doing something different today. We're yes, going to we start are. with the movie review first, and then we're going to talk to our friends from the Muni. I know. I'm so excited because just in three months, we will be there, Carl, yes, sitting outside. That's why I picked this lovely photo. So, Lynn, uh, let's talk about the movie that is opening this week that we didn't see. We did not see Shazam because they did not screen it for us. And I've heard it is the worst reviewed DC movie in a long time. Oh, wow. Because huh. That's because no critics have seen it yet. And so oh. it can't, it, it's not, it might not be worse than Batman versus Superman or Justice League or any of the other DC or Black Adam. movies. Black, but no one has seen it. So it's trending down because I like the first Shazam and I wish it was, I wish that they would have, trusted themselves but then again this is the old regime this is not james gunn had nothing to do with this and he's going to direct superman legacy yes that will be uh interesting yes well i do like zachary levy levy levi how do we say Le it we levy. found out levy because when he was playing kurt warner or or when he was on chuck right everybody loves chuck so and he is well, a broadway no, dude Chuck, he was nominated Chuck was one joke Tony. that went a long time. Yeah, but he's so likable. He was I, in... I watched every single season of Chuck. Well, he's a Tony nominee for She Loves Me. Oh, and an Oscar nominee for um, Tangled. That's right. They, so, they had the song. And, well, I do like him. I like the concept of Shazam. I didn't know anything uh, till I finally watched the movie, um, and Billy Batson, uh, yes, and I enjoyed that immensely. And so I'm looking forward to it. I'm gonna go see it Thursday. And... Are you gonna do a double header? That would be awesome if you did a double header of John Wick and Shazam. Well, no, John Wick's not till next week. Yes, so, I'm saying that if, if you're going to go on Thursday, you can see them both because there are previews of John Wick on Thursday night. Oh, really? Oh, no way. I'm sitting through a three hour movie after a two hour movie. I used to do that in the old days. But now, but, OK, so we didn't get to see Shazam. So let's go and talk about the movie that you did see that is getting rave reviews. Boston Strangler on Hulu. Yes. What is so great about this is you think you know this case. Because Tony Curtis made that awful movie, The Boston Strangler, in 1968. And turns out Albert DeSalvo might not have committed the 13 murders. He's only what? linked. They exhumed his DNA uh, in 2013. And he is only linked to the last one. So everybody thinks he did it. And it's a very sordid tale. So now they think. So he's still a killer, just not a serial killer. Right. But he, what a weirdo. What a really sordid tale. So in uh, we have to preface this with the way it was back then. In 1962, you didn't have a whole lot of serial killings back then. And all of a sudden, women started getting strangled. In Boston Strangler, which is on Hulu, it's 20th Century Fox, and it was going to be released in theaters. But when all that jazz happened they put it on hulu 
And I hope y'all have Hulu because it's worth the watch. So it is set in a newsroom, the Boston Record American, which I always thought of the Herald and the Globe. So this is a long ago paper and it was a tabloid. And the editor is played by Chris Cooper. And everybody loves Chris Cooper, but he plays a, a typical editor of the time. Uh, Kira Knightley is Loretta McLaughlin, and she is confined to lifestyle. But she is obsessed with true crime, and she's cutting out articles, and she's always looking to see if there's a story she can do. And she puts two and two together that these stranglings might be connected. So she goes to Chris Cooper and he's like, no way are you doing this story. I got six guys on the crime beat, you know, and, and it's typical sexism in the newsroom, 1962. And then all of a sudden, Carrie Coon shows up to help her because she did do the first story, but it's a lot. And there's more, the police are discovering more dead women who have nylons tied around their throats. It's, and But one good thing about this movie is they don't show too much of the the uh, the murders. Now, now hold on a second. I need to say something. Because it is a newspaper drama, does that make you like it even more? Yes, because it shows just Because we all was. know your bias towards <laughs> newspaper movies. Well, yes, because that's what I spent 44. Uh, let's see how many years now 1978 professionally so what is that 47 47 years in a newsroom although now I'm in my home doing it but uh I miss the newsroom that buzz but these are these are all based news. on real people yes Loretta McLaughlin is a real person played wonderfully by Kara Kira Knightley who has been absent for a while she had and a baby she decided to have a child. Yes. And so uh, she is joined by Carrie Coon, who is a tough broad in this. She is a uh, reporter that's going to help Kira Knightley break this. So two women, they call them girls. They are like, oh, the two girls. And there's this big bias against these women, especially with the police. And the police aren't taking them seriously. And it's uh, all that thing. And plus, these murders take place from 1962 to 1964. So okay. this story has been erased from the whole, has been erased from the whole background of this case because everybody just thinks Albert DeSalvo was Boston Strangler and that's it. Well, these women broke it all. And so this is a chance to tell the story the right way. And it's really good. It also has Alessandro Nivola as one of the detectives and it has uh that guy that always plays a creep Dismashalan. Yes. He plays the Strangler. Yeah. We'll put that in quotes. But it's very worth your time. It's excellently done. Matt Ruskin wrote it and directed it. Okay. But it's on Hulu. Um, how does Kira does Kira Knightley have a Boston accent? No, not really. Does she have an but, American I mean, she has accent? An America, she has an American accent. Does Carrie Coon have a Boston accent? Not really. No, I think they didn't do the accents. Okay, they're just. I think American. they just. Yeah, they just went. But that feeling of the old newsroom with the typewriters. And the editor yelling at you, I was like, oh, man, flashback to the St. Louis Globe Democrat. Because when the editor would yell at you, then everybody would look at you and then you'd have to go up to his desk. And yeah, so it's one of those stories. But it's uh, not in black and white, but it's really well shot. And it just has this old school feel to it. It feels and like it the also, 60s. Yeah, just like the 60s. So if you don't know anything about this case, it's good that you don't because it'll blow your mind. Uh, but if you know about it, you'll be like, but what if Whoa. you saw the Tony Curtis movie from the 60s? Yeah, just erase that from your head. Yeah. So anyway, it's a good true crime. Everybody's fascinated with true crime. Carrie Coon was on uh, Colbert last night talking about uh, 
uh, the movie. And, and if you have a chance to go to the YouTube and see it, it's good. She talks about theater in Chicago too, and her brilliant husband, Tracy Letts. All right. So while we're waiting for our guest, you said you had some Oscar trivia from the other night. Yes. The memoriam reel. Let's start with that. A lot of people were missing. Yes. Paul Servino. And so his family is furious. His widow is demanding an apology. The man made 171 movies, including Goodfellas. Right. How can you forget him? How can you forget Melinda Dillon, the mom in A Christmas Story, who was nominated twice for Best Supporting Actress? Well, she was in Close Encounters as well. Well, yeah, she was nominated for Close Encounters and Absence of Malice. And she is so good in that movie. Another newspaper movie. Starring... Cindy Williams from yes. American Graffiti. Everyone thinks, oh, it's Laverne and Shirley. It's Shirley. But she was in American Graffiti. I know they're going to say the same Betty White line, like, oh, she was more TV. And I think it's really sad to to leave off Anne Heche and Tom Sizemore because they had substance abuse issues. Well, I, I'm Tom Sizemore. I can see and I can also see anyone that died in that last week, like Robert Blake. And, and you know, there's a deb debate well, when O.J. Simpson dies. Are they going to put O.J. in there because he was in. Uh, the Towering Inferno and the Naked Gun movies. Yeah. They're, they're, but I can understand. But with Robert Blake and with Tom Sizemore, that package has probably been finished for at least a week. So I can see them missing the cut of it being finished. But Anne Heche does not make any sense. No. Well, what did you think of the overall Oscars? Well, I, I didn't watch it. I was at the hockey game. Oh, yeah. Well, I thought it was one of the better ones. I thought uh, it was really smart of them to do the two at once, because usually they have one person come out and do sporting and then the next person. And they had Troy Kotzer and Ariana DeBose come out at the same time. And well, I, I had since I was at the hockey game, I kept getting alerts. I'm like, well, now I don't have to watch it. Well, Kihai Kwan. Everybody loves him, and you knew he was going to give the best speech, and it was so touching. And then when Harrison Ford presented Best Picture, the viral uh, photo of them hugging each other—it's very touching. And uh, because Will Smith wasn't there, Halle Berry came out with Jessica Chastain because Halle Berry uh, was the first woman of color to win an Oscar for Best Actress. And Michelle Yeoh, who won, is the second one. So that was smart. Oh, look at them, like, paying attention to history and such. I know. So I thought I thought it moved well. The best part was the not-to-not-to not number. I'm so happy. I heard that that was fantastic. It was. And I'm so happy that movie got recognition because more people will see RRR now. On it's, Netflix, it's on Netflix. Dubbed. So wait, did you watch it subbed or dubbed? I watched it on Netflix, so it was dubbed. You, I believe you have the choice of picking subs or dubs. I can't remember. I saw my, it so long my, ago. my child will only watch subs because. Well, speaking of, of subs, hearing it in the natural, 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 natural language. Everybody's got to go see the quiet girl, which is on a Plaza front neck or on uh, this weekend at High Point. And also, uh, it you can rent or buy on Voodoo. So everybody has You've to been touting this movie for a long time. And I'm, I'm sorry that the movie you wanted to win, Best Documentary, did not win. No, I voted for Navalny on everything. Yeah, but you like the other one. Well, because it's you like important. the opioid one. Right. But I knew Navalny was going to win the Oscar because it is. But the thing about All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, which starts on HBO Tuesday, it's very important. Now, to me, it's personal, but it raises awareness. And Nan Golden is bold in what she's doing. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but it's important. And the whole part about the Sacklers, Big Pharma, is important yep. to get out. That well, Navalny's... Yeah. Uh... CNN's first Oscar. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, Netflix scored with the animated. Yep. 
Say it. Come on. You can say it. The Guillermo boy... del Toro's Ugh. Pinocchio. Oh, I, I, which... I was talking about Apple Plus's uh, animated short. Oh, the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse, which is wonderful. I watched most all the shorts last weekend. Oh, my God. So many You know how I feel about Pinocchio. I don't think it's... Yeah. Yeah, I know. Not, well, Marcel, this is going to get more people to see Marcel the Shell. Which is much better. Right. Well, now we're going to move on to thinking about summer. We have our guests. We have Kofi Coleman from the Muni. The I'm going to get you're the Grand Poobah. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to get the title wrong. But <laughs> hello there. Good morning. Good good morning. Hi, Mike and I are in different cities, still manage to be dressed alike as most oh, That's funny. Mike, <laughs> this morning I was this morning I was getting dressed and I was trying to channel what I thought you would What not is Mike wear. going to wear? Yeah, and I try I did my best. I did my best, but I don't well, know. Well, he man. only has a limited amount of clothes. You have your whole house. We should have talked. We should have talked. Yeah, I thought yeah, about it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, it it's seems like you guys are simpatico. And live from New York is Mike Isaacson. Good morning. That's what we'll say. Good morning. Well, the, uh, I hope the weather's good there because uh, it has been kind of sketchy, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was basically gross. I'm so lost on what day. Today's Thursday. That makes yes. sense. Uh, got here, I think think Sunday couldn't tell you we had three amazing days of auditions for West Side Story I think we're gonna have a thrilling cast hopefully if everyone accepts the offers uh and yet it was rainy and gross and actually there was a a snowstorm at one point so sure why not <laughs> three feet of snow up in the northeast yeah what do you yeah doing? well I'm thinking this summer that's why I have this shot because I was like Carl it's three months because your first show Beautiful, the Carol King musical, which is fabulous and wonderful. And I've seen it, uh, I saw it on Broadway and at the Fox twice. So three times. So you'll be the fourth, but I'm sure you're going to have great cast as usual. And it's going to be June 12th. And anybody from uh, that, that has the Tapestry album that knows every word must come to see the whole backstory about the Brill Building. Because I actually played fun. I actually played it's too late at the hockey game last night because it was an 852 puck drop. And I thought that was insane. So I played late in the evening by Paul Simon. It's too late uh, <laughs> by Carol King and then a whole bunch of other late songs. And someone said, I think you have a theme. And I said, it's too late. I was there. I was there last night. I stayed until halfway through the third period because I, <laughs> I have to be on a thing that I think they're recording video on. I have to go sleep. So I appreciate, uh, I appreciate the playlist last night. That's good. Carl it was wrestling night, so ones. a lot of people were wooing. <laughs> Carl picks out really good songs. When I was at the one uh, during the Stanley Cup run where they, they made it to the finals yeah. and uh, it was going to be Boston. And he put on Shipping Up to Boston by the Dropkick Murphys. I thought that, that was the was last like, song we played when we beat San Jose. Yeah, I thought, I go, Carl, you're so brilliant. But that was, I would like to say I came with up, I came up with that at the spur of the moment. But honestly, it, it had been planned for at least two days. And of course, he had to play Gloria all the time. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I actually was the one. They everyone that was craving that was talking to me. Hey, Carl, yeah. play Gloria. Yeah. Well, uh, we both grew up coming to the Muni with our grandmas. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I Carl, took the, uh, my grandmother took me on the the Southampton bus, and we sat in the free seats. Loved it. Wow. Well, my grandmother would take me uh, when her one of her organizations rented a bus and came over to the Muni. So we would come, but we actually had paid seats and probably B or C. And I paid since Burt Backrack just died. I, have to say, I sent in babysitting money to take my mom and grandma to see Burt Backrack. And 
1970. And I mean, I sent cash into the Muni box office, which is hard to believe. And I got my tickets in the mail and we went and he introduced the Carpenters. And everybody talks about that, who was there, that Burt Bacharach came out with the Carpenters. And he was like, yeah, they just put out a song close to you. And that was what, you know, it's just, you just always remember Muni moments. Mm. And you guys have been a part of many uh, Muni moment, I would say, since the last, since the millennium, right? There, I mean, my 2011, years. right? But Kofi, how long, you've been there a long time. Um, I mean, the first season I ever worked here was 98. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, I remember when the stage still looked, looked like the one you got behind you. Um, for the record, we will still take envelopes of cash at the box office whenever <laughs> you want to send or drop them in. Uh, just for all the listeners out there, I just thought we should, we should put them. But you know, you're right. It's been, uh, uh, a lot of people have stories like both of the ones you got, you told about coming to the free seats with their grandparents or, or coming to events that, that is, what sustains this place it's it's moments and like that feeling that people still have and you know on a day like this where we know summer's around the corner but it doesn't look like it we we get to be a little bit of that beacon or that lighthouse so yeah it's it's neat to hear those stories i, I my first moment was free seats uh before i ever worked, worked there uh coming there with my parents or my, with my mom and my sisters and my dad came for part of the show too so we all have those moments oh yeah and so you just yeah, you just remember, I remember we were such theater geeks when I was in high school and Tommy Toon came with Seesaw and that was his first Tony. And uh, my I was there a different night than my friends were, but they went to stand behind and see him and they were all calling me up on the rotary going, we met Tommy Toon, you know, so things like that. So there's, these, there's this history of the Muni introducing us to some of the great stars of uh musical theater in america and i'm just gonna before we get into this wonderful seven show season i'm just gonna i looked this up last night who is on broadway or currently on broadway that is a muni fan favorite so the new some like it hot which was on cbs sunday morning uh, has G Harrison J Harrison G as Jerry the Jack Lemon part? He was in Chicago and in Kinky Boots on the Muni stage, and now he's tearing it up on Broadway. And Adam Heller is in it, and Adam Heller's been in how many shows at the Muni? Like quite a bit the last at least last five years. And then coming up this spring on Broadway. We have Ben Davis, multi-St. Louis Circle nominee, and and Emily Skinner, another multiple circle nominee for New York, New York, which has new lyrics by Lynn Manuel Miranda, besides mm -hmm. Gander and Ebb, so that's gonna be cool. And then we have Justin Garini from American Idol, but who has wowed people on the Muni stage in Chicago, in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, in uh, Mamma Mia. He is going to be in the new Britney Spears musical, Once Upon a One More Time. And that's this spring. And then we have um, Beth Lovell in Devil Wears Prada. Not sure that has a date, but how about that? Muni fan favorites on the Broadway stage. So yeah, I mean, we have these two gentlemen here. You're you're not letting them speak. I'm going to right now. <laughs> well, I think I, I mean I really that's really amazing, Lynn, that you took the time to that. The other thing that also takes place is, you know, you just talked about. Um, sort of our leading players and you know you can't go to a show on broadway without we just call it, we use the phrase muni family you know three four five six muni family on stage backstage i went to see um the neil diamond musical and one of our psms was the production stage manager one of our music directors was playing the keyboards in just like a, a, a another thrilling moment um 
uh, a woman who had been a Muni kid and a Muni teen who's in college studying musical theater was there because she just got hired by the show. Her name is Sydney Jones. And she's her first performance is next Tuesday on Broadway. It's just a thrilling moment for her. She's joining that show, which is just fantastic. And I went to see dance on Sunday night and there were, I don't know, four or five people of Muni family on stage. So that that connection is very real. I mean, it's it's twofold, I think. You know, you mentioned Tommy Toon. You know, if you remember at our gala, he talked about the first show he ever choreographed in his life was at the Muni. And the Muni is such a historically and something I feel like I've attended to, and it gives me great meaning, is such a uh, learning and growing place for so many artists, so many people who can come there. And because of the, the incredible audience and the spirit and what they give us, they're just so open to receiving this thing that we're doing. And it's just magical, but people really learn their craft and they learn it under they learn it under, you know, incredible um, structures and constraints, but also with resources you don't have at other theaters, which is just amazing. You know, the community supports this beautiful endeavor. So th there's this line that sort of goes through and, you know, um, I, I don't sit in an audition for anything where, you know, all the Muni family is coming through and it's seen as a powerful learning point, a powerful connecting point. Um, it really, uh, it's, I think we can all be very proud of that. And it's, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's because of this incredible audience. Well, well I have, I, I've been asked to ask a question of you. We talked about beautiful already, which is the first show. And then the second show is June 22nd, beauty and the beast. The calendar has something called extra nights on it. What is that? Is that, is that just in case nights? Um, no. So for Beauty and the Beast, those extra nights, it's an opportunity for when we have a show like someone like Beauty and the Beast, it's a family show. We know that there are maybe not our beyond our normal subscriber base or a lot of people that want to see that show. So we have an opportunity to build in a couple of nights where those seats that you you can never buy because they're season tickets all seven nights uh, are available. So every so often we're looking at a show where we, we can really forecast the demand and, and there's an opportunity there. Uh, to do that so no 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 just in case they're not they're not rain check nights they're just there to to have the opportunity for you to bring for people that want to maybe there's only one show they can make and they want that one opportunity to bring their kids and sit up close and those seats are always sold that's that's what the those uh those extra nights are built in there for uh you know mike spoke to this but it's incredible that we can say we have eleven thousand seats a night and it's possible that those aren't enough for a week and that's a that's a it's a remarkable it's a good problem to have it's a, it's a very nice nice problem to have and uh you know so I, like mike said it speaks to the community and, and the reason why we exist because uh the audience and when we, it's not the first time we've done it uh the last time we did little mermaid beauty of the beast every time we do that you see folks that either are there for the first time or folks that typically sit somewhere else and they get to come over there and the, and there's not a bad seat in the house but there are some really exceptional seats, um, and so it's 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 neat to see to see that opportunity. But that's what that's what those uh, those nights are built into the schedule for. Didn't uh, Little Mermaid uh, break records because it was like the most uh, attendance in this is what three years ago, four years ago, pre-pandemic. Both both times we've done Little Mermaid, um, people love swimming under the sea. Both both times we've done Little Mermaid, it, it's been uh, it's led the charge, and then we had a we, night. We had a night during, I want to say it was Footloose 2019. Check my trivia there. You know, if you get that 70 something degree night in the middle of the summer on a Saturday. I was at that show. It was yeah. fantastic. You're going to, you're going to set records. So yeah, that that's what that's built in there for. Oh, people just, uh, I remember when we came back after the, the 20 season, the 2020 season, which was canceled. And we came back, how people were so happy and Sound of Music, you could just hear the anticipation for that. People were just so elated to be back. But I also remember watching little kids because I just think that's just so wonderful to introduce them to theater. Um, and you see all these aerials, all the little mermaid costumes. And then for Belle, how many yellow gowns golden gowns or the blue see? and white 
jumper. Oh yeah, the bell. Yeah, the bell outfits. And you just it's just filled, you know. And even for uh 42nd Street, uh whoa, when was that? Like 15, six, something, something like that, 2015. Um, this little girl was in her tap shoes, and I was walking out, and she's walking out with her dad, and she's tapping, and that's he said, fun. She's been like this all night. But that's just so wonderful to see um the enthusiasm that the kids have for seeing the their favorites, you know. Well, the next show I have a personal story with because in the 1980s, I was a member of both the Columbia House Music Club and the BMG Music Club. And I wrote to BMG Music Club to get the chess soundtrack because I loved the I well, I didn't see the play, but I loved the music from it. And of course, the Murray had top five song One Night in Bangkok and Murray had had a hit with Superstar like. 15 years before that. And they wrote me back and they said, Oh, they gave me the standard answer. We're always adding music, blah, 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 blah. But correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first time chess is coming to St. Louis? Uh, no, the national tour played the Fox in. I'm going to say 89, 90, somewhere in there. It came okay. through Carolee Carmelo. Um, I think Stephen Bogartis. It was a good cast. Um, you know, chess, but this is new lyrics, right? Are the original lyrics? Chess, yeah. Chess is chess is always an evolution. So the the actual history was it was first that album that you mentioned, and it was a worldwide phenomenon, and just people knew it. I you know I remember listening to it in college. Then they did, Michael Bennett created the London production. Uh, but he got sick right before it was opening and Trevor Nunn took over the London production, which was this big spectacular and had a whole Michael Bennett concept, the way he would do shows, Dream Girls, A Chorus Line. And uh, Trevor Nunn, who is not Michael Bennett, kind of finished the show. It was very successful. It ran for like four years in London. And, you know, people came in knowing the music and it, it was a thing, exactly what you're talking about. And then they took it to Broadway and Trevor said, I'll do this, but I want to redo the whole thing because this is Michael Bennett's idea. So he redid a whole production and it was Judy Kuhn and it was a whole new book and it didn't work. It didn't last very long. I think it was like a couple of weeks, months. I couldn't tell you. Um, but the the but the the album remained popular and the songs remained loved. So they sent out a national tour that did very well. And then it sort of remained this, you know, quasi cult thing. People know the music, they love it. And you'd see productions all over the world. I mean, there are websites. This is hilarious. You can really kill some time, Lynn. There are websites <laughs> dedicated to all the chess productions with all the changes and everything. And it's sort of been this scrambled eggs. So everyone's like, what are you doing? So we're actually doing <clears throat> known as the original London script which in terms of everything is out there is sort of closest to, they did that PBS special of chess that had Josh Groban, Adina Menzel, um, Adam Pascal. It's sort of closest to that in terms of the storytelling and, and, and that narrative. So that will be the chess we'll be doing. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, that is July 5th through the 11th. And that is one of four premieres when uh you announced that rent was going to be there i was so excited because being rented but also it's been one that people have asked for a lot and didn't think maybe it the time had come but the time has come yeah i mean we have gotten close on other seasons but you know one of the things that we have to deal with is is there's a whole sort of world of, is the show actually available to us in the time period that we wanna do it? And that means if there's you know a national tour out or like they also, I think they locked down the rights for a period when they were doing that rent live on TV. So, and, and we have to deal with that on every show. So we've gotten close before, but then the rights weren't available. And what was exciting was finally the rights were available. And so, here we go. And yeah, people have asked about it for years. I mean, it is a powerful, beloved show by the generation. It's it's one of those um, life markers for a lot of people. 
So we're really excited to, and it's going to be the creative team who did our extraordinary production of The Color Purple last season. It's Lillianne and Brianna. It's, it's that entire team creating our production. Wow, which you was know, fabulous. Look. And they are the Chicago, uh, they, they're, they're based in Chicago, right? That theater group? The color purple people, or did they just yeah, do the show? No, they are. I mean, Lillianne's working around the director, Lillianne, who's heaven, is working nationally a lot. She just did a, a, a production up in Huntington in Boston and DC, and her career is really exploding. And Brian, who's the choreographer, he also um uh he teaches in Chicago too, because that's his base, but they kind of work all over where the yeah, work well, is. That's ex no, that's exciting. And I hope because of Tick Tick Boom, more people will realize uh Jonathan Larson rent. You know, if you didn't see it the first time around, you go, Oh, what's this about? This, you know, this is about the 90s. So, you know, it's old. But but I think that that's an important thing too, to recognize Jonathan Larson's masterpiece. And there'll be a lot of energy, I assume. I would hope. And I think it would also bring new people to the Muni, don't you think, Kofi? Yeah, and Lynn, you know, you you touched on something that I think is important. You, there, are, there are four premieres in the season. To your question, uh, the opportunity to bring new eyes and new add new eyes and new audience to the to the community is really important. And those four premieres, you know, I think we forget this is really the first full season that doesn't have shows that were left over from what we selected all the way going to the pre-pandemic days. And and those shows were, it's always, you know, uh, Mike, his team, all of us put a lot of work in to make sure the season as a unit fits together and it tells a story in and of its own, it's cohesive. So when, you, when you're pulling in previous shows, you know, you do your best to accomplish that. So I think part of that excitement that we're seeing for this year too is just that the 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 menu goes together. It's 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 for it's for the same meal. You know that that's a that's a it's a a nice feeling. It's a good way to put some of the past truly in the past. But yeah, to your question, we we if you follow what's happening on social media, we look at our our gift cards and and all the conversation. There are people that haven't been here before or haven't been here in a long time that are that are re-energized. And I think when you take the opportunity to do a show like Rent, uh, where yeah, it's come close, it just hasn't worked out. Um, we can fit it into the exact right season at what I think is the right time um, for our theater. It 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 is it's the ideal move. So um, you know that's we're not supposed to have a a, a favorite kid when we look at the season. <laughs> what what Rent represents is in a a new show, a show that people have really really been asking for. It's it's it ranks high on the list. Yeah, well, Sister X, you can't go wrong with nuns in St. Louis. That is true. And, and that's a live one. I really enjoy it. You know, a lot of people like, oh, Sister X. But I think it's so entertaining. And it has the it has a lot of different parts for people to shine in. And there's been some, if you look back on people that have done it before, there's some heavy hitters. And so I, I think it's it's a great way to end the season in a joyous way. But if we're going to have a favorite child, you know, West Side Story is my favorite. And I always tell people the 2013 Muni version is my gold standard. Oh. So now you're going to have Rob Ruggiero, who is a Sondheim master, because he did Sweeney Todd last year, which was brilliant. And he has done... Uh, at the rep, he did Follies and he did Sunday in the Park with George and and he has done other shows for you. And so uh, I was talking to Michael James Reed. We had him on our podcast a couple weeks ago and he said that Rob does table reads. Right. And yeah. It, I, yeah. Go it, ahead. It, talk about that. Yeah, to explain for people watching what that means is traditionally when you start any rehearsal process, the cast sits around the table, the entire team, actually, everybody involved in the production, and you just read the script out loud. The MD might be at the, the music director might be at the piano and, and do it. Well, 
it's a powerful experience. It's a grounding experience. It's a moment when everyone begins to understand the show, even though they may know the show. It's like they're living it. They're seeing how they're creating it. They're seeing their colleagues. It really uh, is important. And then the, you know, the director and the music director may stop at certain points and go in depth about a moment or begin to say to everybody, look at here's, here's a bigger picture for this moment and that. And traditionally, the uh, Muni did not do that prior to my arrival um, because, and I don't, I don't mean that judgmentally or, or curtly, it's a choice. And, um, but, you know, Rob did the kink and I, my first season and he said, I want to do a table read. And I was like, okay, I understand that. Great. You know, you, your schedule is your schedule. And, but it really, you, you, you literally use the word play. Everyone begins to understand the play and, oh my God, I'll just never forget that. I had people running to my office, freaking out of their minds. They're doing a table read. They're tabling table read. They're doing a table read. I'm like, yes, they're doing a table read. We're going to be okay. It's an important thing. It's very important to Rob. I think it also offers a, you know, I mean, the thing about a Muni company is they take an incredible adventure together in a very short time. And so it's a moment for everyone to sort of really be present and link arms and see who they're journeying with and begin to establish that connection, which is very real and very powerful. And I believe ultimately the audience actually always feels, you know, they sit there and they go, wow, these people who's ever here and back there somewhere, they figured this out together. I mean, it's sort of, it's the power of the Muni idea. You, you, the, the act of doing theater is always present because of the scope and because of the open air and because of a lot of things. So you can't underestimate that as one of the things that makes a Muni production special, which I just realized is probably way too long of an answer to your question. Yeah, Rob does table reads. <laughs> no, that's a fantastic but answer. It is, it's wonderful because people don't <laughs> understand you know, that, but also I wanted you guys to talk about Rob's process because he takes shows and deconstructs them like he did Oklahoma back in what 14 15 something like that it, it ended the show um it ended because it was a season after Hello Dolly right and before I'm sorry I'm all blurred here yeah. with uh, I, so I, I was, can't help you I'm, I'm, I'm whatever yeah. you say we're gonna agree yeah and so he deconstructed Oklahoma because how many times have you seen Oklahoma and he put his spin on it so what does Rob bring to the table as a director? I mean, here's the thing. It is a process and we're having initial conversations and, and not, again, not to be coy about it, but they're actually very, he's still in it and it's very personal and real. So he's not, I don't think he could completely answer that question right now. Part of it is true. Like we're, I'm, I explained, we're here casting, right? And you begin to see people living in the world and what they are and you realize things. You know, the, the thing about, any any sort of process for theater and this is it's hard to explain but it's not additive it's not like you're adding one thing on and one thing on one thing on and the number gets higher right in a world of bad metaphors anytime something it, it becomes a part of it it actually changes the system as a whole like you're and and so you have to stop and go oh what is it now and what are we seeing and what what opportunities this present us or what does this eliminate so you're you're sort of you're really shaping it honestly really up to tech to sort of understand what it is what i will say is my very strong belief about when we do the classics i think there's two things there's two things i can speak personally i'm trying to do so people are coming in with a history with it right and you can't do anything about that. They own it. You have to know it's there, but they own it. But that's present, right? That's part of the conversation. What I love about the Muni audience, what I've learned in time is part of that history is not just the show, but who they were and who they were with the last time they saw the show, which is so amazing. You know, that enters into it as they're sitting there. That's a side point. I, I, to me, the goal is always to, if it is something that is beloved to people, like you for West Side Story, no pressure. Thanks, Lynn. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to do a production that completely honors your love 
But that love is not nostalgia. It is not this thing from the past, that this production on that night engages you and pulls you in. So that love is present. It's real for you in that seat. And you legitimately take the journey of that show on its own terms. And by the end of the night, if we've succeeded, you're reminded why that love is worthy of bestowing on it, right? It's actually a higher bar than in some sense doing a new show when you're doing something that you know everybody's coming in with an opinion and a history with. It's a fascinating challenge. So that's with all the directors of all the, what I'll sort of term the classics, that's the conversation I have. So it's not museum theater. It's not, here's what we did before. Like it would be completely uninteresting to me to do the 2013 production again, right. which is a change. Now, we have different tools to tell stories on our stage right now than we did in 2013. You know, oh, yeah. all, all the incredible things that came out of the campaign. So right away, it's going to be different. And you, you know, you, and then plus you're working with a new creative team and you want to harness all their talents and beliefs and ideas. So you can't, you can't rest on anything. Each, each production is its own journey. When you're doing a classic though, there's just things you're more aware of. You know, everybody who we're casting on West Side Story all has a feeling about the show when they walk in the room right? You can just sense it, you know? Sometimes that feeling overwhelms them and you have to get them, give them permission to just, no, 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 tell tell the character, do the truth in your way. Sometimes they're just raring to go. I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating thing with musicals we love, what we carry in our hearts and our minds, and that's what it is. Right. Well, now we've mentioned every single show except one, and I'm excited about this show because with th this hasn't been done on the brand new stage, the stage with all of the accoutrements, as it were. And that is Little Shop of Horrors. And that is going to be July 25th through the 31st. Does having a new stage with digital backgrounds change the way that that is going to be produced? Absolutely. It changes how we're going to tell the, tell the story. I think essential to Little Shop is, is, you know, the plant and puppetry and how you do that. And one of the things you've, I think you've seen in several of our productions, um, when we use puppetry, um, if there's a point of view towards it, puppetry is, I'll, I'll own it, I'll just say is for me most successful where part of it invites your imagination as an audience member, completely whole. But if you're connecting and filling in what is being created, it's a much more dynamic thing. So we are working uh, with an amazing puppeteer on the plants. I'm so excited. He uh, did the highly acclaimed in the woods production that played on Broadway and was touring and, and our, and it's the, it's our, uh, it's our, that's the incredible Maggie Burroughs and uh, William Carlos Angulo. It's the Legally Blonde team, the On Your Feet team has sort of come together to create this. And um, yeah, it's I think it's going to be really exciting. That is. I can vouch for the puppetry because I did see Into the Woods at the St. James and that the giant uh, uh, foot yeah. and the cow and everything was just seamless and works so well and but it yeah. was also do you remember lynn how it was all connected it was connected yes. to both characters in a way that evoked something out of you and and that's the goal here now i mean this is a little different because that our plant isn't exactly cute and cuddly but, <laughs> you know um but it's but, sort of the same idea and um you know i hope it's really i i believe it's going to be really imaginative and fun for the audience well that was in uh, 2010 2009 10 something like that we had it was the last time carl for little shop and that was uh, rob mcclure's muni debut and now i i wonder if he's going to be on the tour of mrs doubtfire which is coming to the fox as announced today yeah i know he i mean we talked a couple months ago 
you know, as he was trying to figure out his summer. And I know that was a possibility. I don't know how it's shaking out for him. Yeah, because he did obviously do it on Broadway. And uh, he has been a Muni fan favorite for a long time. And he was in Into the Woods when you was, when you did yeah. it here. Yeah. So it's her. nice to see uh, people uh, return to the Muni and come on. And isn't John Tartaglia coming back? Yes, he he's directing Beauty and the Beast. That man is brilliant. Mm. And I know he loves the Muni so much. He wants to put it in his schedule, everything. And what he did with Mary Poppins last summer was so imaginative, especially with the birds and everything. He's just He just has such a feel for the Muni stage. And he does. And he really, um, you're, you're right about that. He's incredibly, um, in the best human sense, loyal to us as an institution, as people. He really loves coming back. He loves the audience. He sits out there and feels that energy and he thinks about them. And, you know, he usually tackles me halfway through whatever he's there that summer of like, okay, what am I doing next summer? But, you know, he's got a very, he's got a very successful career right now with uh, that, that uh, a couple TV shows and he's very high up in the Henson organization. He is, he started, Carl, he started at Sesame street and I interviewed him when the DVD to Shrek came out. And uh, my, uh, my oldest son was interning at, at Sesame street at the time. So he was just so delightful to talk about, to talk about his career, Sesame Street. He played Pinocchio in Shrek on Broadway and in the mm -hmm. filmed version of the play. And then he also, at the Muni, Carl, if you saw Aladdin, he was I, the genie. Riding a motorcycle up and down the aisles. Yes. And he was Cat in the Hat in Susical. And and he won our St. Louis Theater Circle Award for playing, was it Hysterium in uh, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he so, and he's multi-nominated too. Uh, the reason I say uh, the Circle Awards, Carl, because they're coming up April 3rd and the Muni has 21 nominations. And it's pretty Very much- honored. Very honored by that. Thank you to all the- I don't know, committee or nominees or whatever you do is we were very honored by that. Well, it's across the board. And Joseph got uh, a number of uh, the technical awards and then Color Purple, Sweeney Todd killed it. And then also uh, Mary Poppins has got some. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I'm excited because it's uh, we have such good nominees this year, but also we're back in person at the rep on april 3rd so yeah it's our 10th anniversary and the muni has won many 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 times <laughs> so i'm excited about that but let's put let's talk about the particulars here okay we have tickets on sale for the um season tickets go on sale march 20th monday monday, monday yep Season tickets are on sale Monday, and then single tickets will be on sale May twenty second. But um, you know, I I not just because I work here, I, I I believe it. The season ticket it's a great value, it's a good opportunity. Um, and I think it's a we've talked about seeing kids out here and and the mermaid dresses and and it's an opportunity to begin a tradition and set set something that's a part of the rhythm of what your family does uh, in the summer. So. Season tickets are on sale starting Monday, March 20th. You can get them on the phone. You can get them online. You can come here and pick them. Um, it's a great, the excitement's there, you know? So if it's something that you're thinking about, I, again, not because it's my job to say so, I mean it, it highly recommended. Muni.org. And if yes. you bought gift cards. You want to give them, you can buy, I, you can buy I, did, I did for Christmas gifts to people. Um, I, uh, you can get them now for, if you redeem gift cards for season tickets, you can get them now. Yes, you can. And I would say that started yeah. yesterday. There was a significant, I, I look at the numbers pretty often. If, if that rings true, we're, we're, we're in a good position. So this, the seats are going, um, if, if you're, if you're particular about where you're sitting, I would recommend getting on the front end of that line. 
Now the Muni gift cards can only be redeemed on phone or in person at the box office, but the box office is nine to five right now, right? It is nine to five until the top of June, then we'll be back to nine to nine. And they're so helpful. And yeah. uh, yeah. single tickets go time. on sale May 22nd. That's correct. And and then you can get them through the whole season. Now we have box seats, Terrace A in two sections, B two sections, and then C. So that's how it's divided. Um, I uh, last year some people who had never ever been to the Muni, but wanted to see Color Purple, contacted me and said, "Where's the best place to sit for my budget?" You know. So do you have people on hand, like at the box office that help people say that's a pretty good area? A absolutely. You know, I've got to give uh, kudos. Uh, Larry and Angie Walsh are in the box. They run the box office and then there's a team in there and they know, I believe they could tell you the view from every seat. They know all the, their customers. Um, they, they will definitely, the beauty of being such a big house is there is a price level for everyone. There's a price point. There's an opportunity. If you want to sit in dead center, if you want to be away from people on the side a little bit, uh, all those opportunities are there, but that that's the, that's the ideal. If you go online for your season ticket, uh, it's also pick a seat. So, you know, the, the seat map is there, but call the box office, stop by. Uh, if it's a, if it's a nice enough day, we can walk you in there. You can take a look around and, and get a feel for it. Um, we we want you to love your seat. It's just not just a transaction. It's about loving your experience here and figuring out uh, the way to make it the best night possible. Yeah. Well, there's nothing like going to the Muni. So we are excited to meet you at the Muni this summer. First show is June 12th. And the last show will end August 20th. We can't Yay. wait. Muni.org yeah. has all of this information. Or you can sign up for the newsletter inside number one theater drive which i got this morning at six o'clock in the morning and it was it was a scheduled send we don't make them come into work that early it's a scheduled <laughs> send. <laughs> and well carl uh, you know gets up for work at 3 a.m because he's on morning radio Fair. so um Fair. he'll uh we we have learned to text it odd uh, you know like because i'm a late night person and he turns off his phone and then uh and then he texts me at like 5 a.m so yeah we have <laughs> last night was weird yeah what you guys have done with the capital campaign all the muni changes just invigorates and that's one of the things that i notice gets applause yeah i, I want to say you give us credit which is generous but at the end of the day we we took what the community did the community said that this was important we want to make this investment we trust you with our investment to turn it into what we deserve and that's what we're doing with the physical plant that's what mike and his team are doing with the what you see on stage but that respect and that congratulations has to go to the people that made it possible you know we they they invested in this place and and yeah it's it's interesting you know you i'm looking at the picture behind you it's that that memory's almost erased in my mind you know it is a breathtaking um site what we have now um even before you put all the humans on stage and, and get the, the show going so that is a that is a congratulations and a thanks that goes that goes primarily to the community without a oh doubt. yeah the lifts and everything and then what you guys had to do last year for uh the flood uh it's remarkable that you you got it uh I remember Carl text me. Well, I guess we're not going to the Muni tonight, you know. <laughs> so, but and, only for one night. Only one night. Right. I know, which was really amazing. It and was impressive. Was very impressive. And the next night we were back, I was very thrilled because I got to sit next to Taylor Lauderman and her dad and her husband, and uh, uh, to uh, to talk, you know, to talk about. Uh, what all the muni meant to her and everything is really great. So because there's a zillion stories. Every time you run into somebody or talk to somebody, they started out, they they are continuing their journey, they're whatever. And I just think there's such a continuity to that that is also invigorating. But before we leave, I want to say that the uh, applause, you never know what a muni moment's going to be. You cannot predict them. You don't know what's going to, uh, what's going to be that night. And I remember for Les Mis, I never saw a Muni response like this uh, before 
One Day More ended, and this is 2013. And this was the young cast and Norm Lewis as Javert. And um, One Day More, the audience leapt out of their seats. I mean, I leapt out of their seats and the thunderous applause. I've never had a Muni applause like that until last season's I'm Here by mm. Anastasia in The Color Purple. Yeah. And you saw all these people leaving in tears when they were yeah, leaving yeah. the Muni. What, I mean, it was an extraordinary production in many ways. And it was also the production right after the flood. And, you know, I mean, we made it through and thank you, but it, th those were hard weeks. Those were, you know, are you kidding me with this kind of stuff? And, you know, that's where the incredible spirit that is backstage and grit and determination in every department, every person, really, everybody was giving a thousand percent. It was remarkable. It was, you know, we still haven't processed it all. It was a lot. But what was, for me, such a hallmark about that production was, you know, I, one of the reasons I love the audience so much is I, I truly feel like they're up for the adventure. They're up for the journey, right? And if we just take their hand and hold it and that we're all going to go there together, you're going to go there with 10,000 people. And what was so extraordinary about that show, that production and the story of Celie and, and how it came about and how Lillian told it, it was like it unearthed a sense of feeling at the Muni that I'd never quite felt in a production before. And it released something. And when you're doing that with 10,000 people, it was just mind boggling. But you would hear, you know, the intensity of the emotions. And, you know, I mean, Alice Walker wrote a beautiful and really challenging story. And the whole audience just went with it and just showered such love on that show at the end of it. It really was like, and I think it was because you know, I, I just have a theory is we're all still post-COVID trying to figure out what happened and things are so unruly still and, you know, which way is up. And But that moment just gave people the opportunity to release something they didn't know they needed to release. And it the impact was incredible. It was. So let's see what this year's beauty moments are going to be because I always, uh, uh, I always appreciate uh being sitting under the stars and being with everybody and carl we're gonna do it again after yes. i will never ever ever take it for granted after that those uh what 20 21 yeah it's tough yeah yeah and last year finally it was just so good but what the orchestra just like uh after the flood what the orchestra had to do in the emerson building and it's just it's really, you guys have quite a story to tell. There are, there are many chapters to that to that story and a, a whole bunch of unsung heroes backstage, um, sound team, stage, you name it. You, we, that could be a podcast in and of its own. And, and <laughs> well, one day when we're ready to really talk about it, we, we can't, we, that, that, that's a, certainly a series. Not off, there off. yet. Not either, but it was, a, it was a, to Mike's point, it was a great demonstration of, of the strength of the team that we have. Without without a doubt, you can. You do, and it's too many to mention, but uh, it's very impressive. And uh, Michael Bauer and Michael Horsley and or Hor yeah, Horsley, am I getting that right? Yeah, Michael Horsley. Yeah, right. It's a team. And we could we could name off a zillion people, but thank you so much for your time. I can't you. wait to see the cast. And uh, thank so Eric, thank you. Thanks. I will see you. Thank on. you. We'll see you at the Muni. See you. Bye-bye. Bye. That was great. Lynn, where can we find you? I am on KTRS Radio with Jennifer E. Bloom and Bloom and uh, Wendy Weiss on Friday mornings at 11.08. And I am in the Webster Kirkwood Times. I am on my website, Pop Life STL, of which this is a part. And it's been so fun today, Carl. It was excellent. Next week, we'll have to talk about the brand new Broadway series at the Fox. Oh, a lot of theater going on. There is. And if you want to see a really great Pinter play, Albion Theater is at the Kranzberg in the birthday party. Exceptional theater. 
And we've got Murder on the Orient Express coming to the rep next Friday. And well, I actually I think it's in previews now. If you want to go to previews, and a whole and Into the Woods is going to be at Stray Dog, starting March thirtieth. And uh, and we got a lot coming up. We got That's a lot of theater day. people we're going to be talking to. So it'll be fun. You can find me at underscore Carl the Intern on Twitter and Instagram every Monday through Friday on the Mark Hacks Morning Show and Second Amendment Radio and the Great Outdoors. Saturdays on 97.1, Sundays on KMOX Radio.